0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you find yourself in this entire world, I welcome you. So how are you doing, my friend, my warrior? I certainly hope this week finds you well. I'd like to welcome you to visit my site, griefauthority.com, where you will find books and ebooks to help you move through your grieving process. In the beginning, and even later on, it's important that we educate ourselves about what is coming in the upcoming months and years ahead after we've experienced the death of a loved one. And whether it's for yourself or for someone who would like to help you, this is a vital three-book package that I call Bundle of Hope. My signature book, Understanding Your Grieving Heart After a Loved One's Death, is for you, the adult. How to Help a Grieving Child is for the little ones in your life, the young ones, the teens, and even the young adults, as they're moving forward in what may be the very first death they've ever experienced. And the third book is about grief at the holidays and how you can prepare yourself for those times during the year. So I hope you'll visit. You can download them immediately. And with the world being that it is, I am very concerned that we may not be able to get printed books in the near future. You can download it immediately, or you can read it on our online portal, which is just your separate section just for you. So now today, I want to talk about something controversial. I know that people have very mixed opinions on these subjects, but this is something that needs to be said. We have had so much violence in the United States and in other places around the world where people are being killed randomly. With no rhyme or reason. And most cannot understand how this is even happening. Now I'm coming from the experience of having had my stepdaughter murdered at the age of 11 on Long Island, New York. This was very many years ago, but it has always affected each one of us in the family in different ways. Because of that, I want you to understand that once someone in your family has been murdered, no matter whether they're a child, a sibling, it could be your parent, your spouse, whoever has been killed, it changes your family forever. And you don't have the luxury of not being involved with the DA, with homicide detectives, with the medical examiner, with the criminal court system, with the probation officers and department, with the crime victim witness counselors. A few weeks after Angela had been murdered, I went to the New York City Public Library to find resources to try to find help for us. And we found a group called Parents of Murdered Children and it's a group that no one wants to be part of. It took a lot of convincing, but Angela's dad finally agreed, and at the end of August, she had been killed in July, we drove over 35 miles one way to sit in a family's living room with four other couples telling their story. These couples would become our new family because our own families couldn't understand what we were going through and, quite frankly, didn't want to know. As the years passed and Angela's murderer had still not been arrested, many more families joined our group, and eventually we gained space in a mental health facility one Friday night each month. At one time, we had upward of 80 people driving from Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Connecticut, New York City, and upstate New York just to attend and be with us, people who would understand them. Eventually, my former husband and I started the first chapter in New York City, so it was closer for those individuals who drove so far. And over the years, we heard many horrific stories about how their family members had been killed, like young 13-year-old John Pius, who was murdered on Long Island in 1979. Other young boys who were bullying him dragged him into the woods, stuffed rocks down his throat, and suffocated him. It was one of the first child murders on Long Island, and until this day, it is still remembered by residents there. So I ask you, shall we ban all rocks in the world? Another vicious killer, Albert Fentress, lured 18-year-old Paul Masters into his home Sexually assaulted him, castrated him, and then shot him twice in the head. He then proceeded to cook his private parts and ate them. Shall we ban all frying pans in the world? And when a boyfriend kills his girlfriend by stabbing her thirty times with a knife because he didn't want her to date anyone but him, shall we ban all knives? From the earth? And when someone is hung from a rafter to kill them and makes it look like it's a suicide, shall we ban all rope and twine from the earth? Or when someone is suffocated with a pillow to stop them from breathing, shall we ban all pillows from the earth? Perhaps gasoline was used to surround a home and light it on fire so all inside would be killed. Shall we eliminate gasoline from society? Or when two teenage girls carjacked a man's car in New York, speeds away with him hanging on the door, and when they crash, kill him. One girl was more interested that her cell phone was in the car. Than the fact that they caused his death. But shall we ban all cars? So, when people talk about how important gun control is and to possibly confiscate guns from individuals who own them lawfully, shall we eliminate guns forever from law abiding citizens? Because the people who are using them illegally are never looked upon as the problem. I always wonder what is being done in Chicago, Los Angeles, Baltimore, New York, and other urban cities where there is a proliferation of illegally owned guns, yet which are never confiscated from illegal aliens or guns that are illegally possessed by very dangerous folks. Why is it more being done about that? Why aren't the mayors of these cities making it a priority to get the guns out of the hands of those who have them illegally? We never seem to hear about that, do we? We hear about how people in Chicago are being shot every single day. Multiple people some killed, some harmed, and yet I don't hear a thing from its mayor to get the guns out of the hands of illegals or illegal guns out of the hands of these perpetrators. So when I was a member of support groups and running support groups for parents of murdered children and other survivors of homicide victims years ago, There were many people whose children had been killed in so many different ways, but also by those who used a gun. And many in the public and politicians would cry for gun control. But the sad truth is this. Angela was beaten unconscious about her head and neck by her murderer's fists. Dragged with the strength of his arms to a small stream with such force that her gene loops were ripped off. Turned her over with her face submerged in a stream and walked several feet to find a 35-pound log and placed it on the back of her neck to submerge her in the water and kill her. Yet whether a loved one was murdered this way, or with a pillow, knife, rope, or someone came up and gunned them down, the end result is exactly the same. Our loved ones were murdered with intent, and it is the intent of the crime that matters, not the weapon that was used. A gun or a baseball bat can sit in a home for 50 years and never harm anyone. But as soon as you have an individual who is intent on harming someone else, it won't matter if it's a gun, gasoline, that baseball bat, a knife, or even a pillow. It won't matter if it's hands to drown someone of beating so bad with fists that they die, rope to kill them, or stuffing rocks down their throat. It won't matter if they force someone to take drugs laced with fentanyl, so potent it will kill them, or drank a bottle of liquor and then got in a car and caused a crash that killed them and others. If someone is intent on killing another human being, they will do it, and no one will stop them. And it will be the victim's family who will suffer the consequences of the audacity and intent of that one or more human beings. It will be their strife and grief for the rest of their life to understand why such a person could do something like this to another human being. It will be a struggle to live with how the person died But mostly it's the struggle of realizing another human being was so callous, so drastically reckless, so intentionally hateful to kill their loved one that just has such dire consequences in their soul. So the next time someone brings up gun control in any manner whatsoever, Please realize that this is a political issue to gain control over your ability to defend yourself against murderers. It is not a heart-centered issue because it doesn't matter how the person was murdered. It matters that they were murdered. In today's society, we have an overabundance of people who are dealing with mental illness, Some can be helped with therapy and medication. The more violent cannot. These are the little children who gain great satisfaction in harming little animals and pushing their baby sister down the stairs. There is an inherent evil in these children who grow up to be evil adults, who have no feeling when they harm or kill another human being or animal. I remember a conference I attended where an expert described these children, and if they weren't helped by the time they were five years old, they would be a lost cause. In the United States, we don't put a priority on mental illness assistance any longer. We haven't for decades when insurance companies took away any benefit for going to a counselor. Add to that, we taught our children it was fine to kill babies before they were born, took God out of school, eliminated the Pledge of Allegiance, introduced violent video games to desensitize our children to murdering others, created horrific lyrics to music that talked about death, violence, murder, destruction, and harming and disrespecting women. Too many children were raised to disrespect their parents, teachers, and neighbors. They grew up with no father figure, no discipline in the home, because the government decided to encourage women to have more and more children out of wedlock so they could gain government benefits. But at what cost? They took shop and heating and air conditioning classes out of school, leaving most to never learn a skill that could feed them well without going to college. These children, and now adults, have used drugs and alcohol to soothe their pain, many times from the death of a loved one, and some have joined gangs to get a sense of family they don't have at home. And too many people, mostly men, have wound up in prison. And to make matters worse, it's now legal in many states to use marijuana on a daily basis. And in New York City, they actually have centers where you can go to shoot up with free needles and paraphernalia. We've seen the tragedies of Columbine High School, nine eleven, Fort Hood, Sandy Hook, the Pulse nightclub, Las Vegas, synagogues in Pennsylvania and elsewhere, and many churches. Recently, Buffalo, New York, and now Uvalde, Texas. We have a generation of children who can't socialize with their peers, instead communicate through text and social media, and really have conversations with each other. They feel isolated and often bullied if they are different than others. They are desperate to feel included and accepted, and when they don't, they are driven to take drastic measures to express their pain. And many times, even when parents have reached out to authorities to help them, there are no counselors available or the waiting list is too long, not to mention the costs were prohibitive. And the police tell us they can't get involved until the individual does something. And unfortunately, often at that point, it is too late. So exactly how many infractions and smaller crimes must they have on their record before something is done to help these people? We additionally have district attorneys in cities where they are simply opening up doors to the prison and letting out violent criminals because they claim they don't have the resources to bring them all to trial. How irresponsible is that, especially when they are elected and paid to do that very thing? These violent individuals take out their anger. By burning down a building, shooting up a school full of children, causing a drive-by shooting, killing dozens of children, enjoying a lovely day in their own yards and nearby playgrounds, or taking a truck and mowing down dozens of people in the road. With the isolation of COVID and the inability to work and the ability to get fentanyl, oxy, and meth, and so many other dangerous and deadly drugs, many are masking the pain of loneliness and struggling to fit in. And many in society are searching for a single solid job that will pay all the bills, and they can't find it. Now with inflation and the possibility of fearing homelessness, It will only get worse because desperate people do desperate things. So coming from someone who has helped hundreds of families who are survivors of homicide victims, who attended more murder trials than I can count, and have experienced and seen firsthand the absolutely devastating toll it takes on survivors, please know this. No matter the platitudes of prayer and thoughts for the victims and their families, which politicians express, no matter the laws they claim they are going to pass, or the ones that are on the books, which they do not enforce, the bottom line is this. Nothing they say will bring back a loved one. Nothing they do will bring back a loved one. No law created in the past or in the present or in the future will ever bring back a loved one. Unless we can get to a place where individuals can treat each other with respect instead of hate, there will always be murder. There will always be pain because it will always be the intention of the murderer not the weapon. Thank you for being with me today. Remember to continue to write five things each night in your journal that you are grateful for. Please subscribe, rate, and review my podcast wherever you listen to me. And please share this podcast with at least three members of your family and friends who are grieving this week and as always remember to be happy because you deserve to i'll speak with you again soon